Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm looking forward to spending time with you today. So thanks for um, making time to be with me. I've got a great show. Rob Bluey is going to be joining me in just a second. Then Dr. Alex McFarland will be joining me after that. And then Jeff Verdorn in hour two. We're going to continue our series on who is this Jesus. That's all coming up today. Rob is the executive editor at the Daily Signal. I always encourage you to go over to dailysignal.com and check it out. Hey, Rob. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that that uh, that plug for the site uh, where you have a great team and always try to keep on top of the news, both here in Washington and and out in the country. So yeah. it's good to be back. Well, I got a couple of questions. I also always want to let listeners know that you can ask Rob any question you like. The text line is open for you eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. I always think of Rob as my Washington D.C. correspondent. I have a question, Rob. This is just kind of an odd question, but every time you see a politician. Um, with their message, and then they say, you know, you can donate to my to my uh, campaign, and they always want to have lots of money to spend on television advertising. I don't think I've ever been convinced by a television ad in my life. I, I always know who I'm going to vote for before I ever see one ad. So who are they trying to reach with this television advertising? Usually, it's 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 very interesting that you, you you ask the question because we are being inundated with ads uh, right now, uh, particularly those of us who live in in areas where there may be a a contested race. You know, it's not necessarily deep red or deep blue, but it's what they call you know that purple zone where mm-hmm. uh, you know it changes hands every couple of years, perhaps. And there are certain people out there who I think are persuaded. They probably don't necessarily pay attention to, to politics or government as, as closely or as you and I do, and, th- and that's okay. Um, what we often see in, in terms of, of advertising are sometimes advertisements that are negative. And maybe somebody is considering voting for a candidate, and after seeing an ad, they decide that they're just going to sit it out. Maybe they don't want to vote for the Republican or the Democrat. Mm-hmm. They say, you know what, I, I've heard so many bad things about so-and-so candidate that, uh, that I'm going to stay home this year. Mm-hmm. So there are a variety of ways that I think political campaigns deploy advertising. And, and sometimes it's to change the perception of, uh, of the voters' um, view of a particular candidate. Other times it's to convince them to turn out and vote. And uh, regardless of what, what your listeners decide to do, I, I think it's critically important that we exercise our, our, our civic duty and, and get out and vote, uh, preferably on Election Day. I know that there's, it's very uh, in, in vogue right now to, to do the advanced voting, uh, you know, mail-in voting or, or uh, show up uh, weeks in, in advance. But so much can change in just the last couple of weeks of the campaign. So I'm somebody who personally uh, likes to wait until until election day because yeah. then I feel like I have a good grasp of, of where everybody stands and I have a full understanding of um, of all the issues that are in play. Mm-hmm. Don't you think it would be helpful if there were rules or standards which we went by where like there was a debate in Pennsylvania tonight but you know so many people have already voted. So shouldn't some of these debates happen in advance of the <laughs> the voting or am I just crazy? 
Oh, you're you're absolutely correct, and and look no further than the last presidential campaign. Uh, remember, uh, because of of President Trump's COVID, a debate was canceled. So yeah. I mean, you you didn't, you know, and and there was voting taking place all across the country. Oh, I I, I certainly believe that. Now, there there are um, a, a number of people who have chosen to to exercise their right. Uh, I I think I saw the latest stats from Georgia, which had fought, have far exceeded expectations. And of course, there's a contested governor's race there and a Senate race. So, you know, two two important races and people have decided to cast their vote. We also live in a much more polarized time. I mean, people probably are not going to change their mind if they're they're a committed Republican or a committed Democrat. But I, I am with you, Bill. I, I definitely uh, think that there are some things that can happen in the last couple of weeks of the campaign, certainly the last month of the campaign, where you may want to, um, uh, you know, change your mind. The the Pennsylvania race is an interesting one that you raise. The debate tonight is going to be uh, closely watched, highly scrutinized, because John Fetterman, the Democrat, had a stroke uh, mm-hmm. shortly before the the primary. He ended up winning that that primary election, despite the fact that he was off the campaign trail in the closing days of the primary. And there are some questions that have come up, including by some some uh, prominent journalists who have done interviews with him, who have said that uh, you know he hasn't fully gained all of the the functionality. Uh, and after having a stroke, and I know people who ha- who've had strokes, and I know it's a difficult recovery. So I think that voters will be paying attention, and they'll be making a decision, and perhaps in some cases, on how Fetterman performs in the debate. And so certainly. Uh, Anybody who voted beforehand wouldn't have the benefit of seeing that. Mm-hmm. Rob, I'm looking for a little uh, more information now on this uh, topic. Let's take out Democrat, Republican, Independent. Let's just say the president of the United States, and, and forget about Democrat, Republican, but he says or she says that I passed the student loan forgiveness by a vote or two. Wasn't that done by executive order? Yes, uh, that that is that is absolutely correct. Uh, that pre, uh, that there there are certain things that that a president will often try to do through executive order because they are unable to get it across the finish line in Congress. Now, in this particular case, it's interesting because the president's own party was reluctant to take this up in Congress and bring it up. Uh, Speaker Pelosi, in fact, criticized it and said that. Uh, you know, this was this was certainly not something that uh, that could be done by executive order, and thought that the legislature, in this case the Congress, was the one that needed to act. But in in the absence of of Congress or a state legislature legislature acting, sometimes a president or a governor will take matters into their own hands, and it'll be decided by uh, the court of law. And you know, we we have seen this now going back. It's it's not just the current president. It it happened under President Trump. It happened under President Obama. It happened under President Bush. Uh, famously under Obama, you'll remember that it was after the midterm elections when when he was frustrated by uh, the, uh, the 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 different party that was in in Congress than Republicans that he said he was going to use his his pen and his phone uh, to make decisions. And, and you know, there's just some recent news on this. Uh, you know, this is how long it can take sometimes for the courts to, to work through uh, some of these issues. Uh, you know, but there are, uh, there was just a decision by a court last week about a decision that, uh, that came into play during the Obama administration with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And, uh, and a court saying that, it, quote, it was completely off the separation of power books. Hmm. So, you know, Bill, 12 years you know, for this to work its way through the courts. So uh, that's why I think some presidents decide to take the action. They know that their policies will likely have been implemented and it'll be too late for, for anybody to do anything uh, long after they leave office. Yeah. 
Rob Bluey is my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Question from Jim says, some people, well, let's see. Uh, Can you ask Rob why we never found out who leaked the Supreme Court's decision? Will we ever? I think if they did a blanket firing of all the clerks, that would have outed the leaker. It's, It's troubling that we still don't know the answer to this. Clearly, this was done to harm the reputation of the Supreme Court. Uh, We've seen that institution uh, take a nosedive in public opinion polls about Americans who have trust and faith in the court. And I think that it all, um, all of these factors contribute uh, to this, as as well as the attacks that we've seen from political parties on on the court, uh, trying to pack the court with more justices or or limit the court's ability to, um, to, to do certain things. It's, um, it's unclear why we don't know the answer to the question, Bill. I, I, I have my own suspicions, including that Chief Justice John Roberts would prefer that Americans forget about this and not bring it up. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it, we are hosting uh, Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito this evening at the Heritage Foundation, oh, wow. and maybe we'll we'll find out if he decides to, um, to to answer a question on that topic. But yeah, it's uh, it's something that led to some pretty significant consequences, including somebody who was out camped outside of Justice Kavanaugh's home uh, attempting to assassinate him. So fortunately, um, you know, n- none of that violence occurred, but there was a, a whole lot of chatter and and uh, protest that resulted from this leak. And uh, the one good thing that I will say that came out of it, Bill, is that it seemed to only give the conservative justices who voted to overturn Roe v. Wade more resolve to do so. They did not change hardly anything uh, from that leaked draft until the decision was was released. And I think the intent of the leaker was probably to get them to to back down and even change their opinion. Mm Mm-hmm. Rob, I'm going to start my next question with a quote. This comes from uh, the late Karl Barth, uh, one of the most influential theologians of the 20th century. Barth said this, Take your Bible and take your newspaper and read both, but interpret newspapers from your Bible. And the question that came in uh, from a listener was, some people say you shouldn't mix politics in the Bible. I disagree, but I'm wondering if you can discuss that topic. That's a hot topic. <laughs> My goodness, yes. Uh, I've had a couple of interviews with, uh, with, with, with pastors in recent weeks, Bill, uh, including just, just yesterday, I, I featured on the Daily Signal podcast, uh, Father Giacomo Capovardi of uh, a Catholic church in Rhode Island. Uh, I previously featured uh, Pastor Wes Martin of Grace Church in St. Louis. And uh, both of them have decided uh, to, to really bring politics to the pulpit, and uh, they don't shy away from it. Uh, Father Capoverdi, um, uh, most recently in his community in Rhode Island, was, was upset that the local high school library has a couple of books uh, that are available to students that have pornographic descriptions and images, and he, uh, he decided to band together with 13 other clergy and, and speak out and write a letter to the local newspaper about it. But he also does everything from, you know, post on social media about what he thinks the most important uh, issues are in, in the election. And certainly Wes Barton does the same. So, you know, there are those who would prefer to go to church on Sunday or, or, or when they do interact with their, uh, their clergy, they avoid politics. <laughs> it can be a particularly thorny subject yeah. here in the Washington, D.C. suburbs because so many of us, you know, have our day jobs in, in po- politics. 
but uh, I think that that's why you know that, that's that's why we have freedom of religion in this country and 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 the, the freedom to choose whatever church uh, we we want to worship in um, and and sometimes. I, I know individuals uh, may walk away because uh, a, a particular pastor maybe have a strong position on certain issues. Sure. But I, I do one final point. I, I think that there, there's. I would make a distinction between uh, moral issues and political issues. So there, there, there are there are those who, uh, you know, who, who can, I think, inappropriately make it partisan and and advocate for the election of a particular candidate. I'm pretty sure that that's probably illegal. Uh, churches that are organized as a 501c3 nonprofit and, and don't have some of that, that flexibility to be making endorsements. And then there are those who just speak out about things like uh, being pro-life or being pro-family, being pro-marriage. And I don't see anything wrong with that. I think that those are teachings that are consistent with the Bible. And, uh, and, and f- for those who aren't actually uh, using their, their leadership uh, role, um, probably uh, you know, should, should think about it because we, there are cultural issues right now in our society that I think need attention. Mm-hmm. Rob Blue is my guest. He is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. If you have a question for Rob, you can text it over to me, 877-933-2484. Again, 877- 933-2484. Rob is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can learn more about that at dailysignal.com. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome back to the show. Rob Louie is my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Always nice to have Rob on the show. Um, Rob, a question just came in about the... Uh, what does Rob think about the House and the Senate becoming red? Well, it's uh, it's, it's certainly interesting to watch the the late breaking polls. My my colleague and uh, and noted economist Steve Moore often reminds me that in 1994, when Republicans swept into Congress, it was the last two weeks that were des- the deciding factor. Uh, earlier in that campaign, even even presidential campaigns like Ronald Reagan's uh, victorious campaign in 1980, you, you had a late breaking decision on the part of many voters uh, that determined control of the House. So we are in that window now. We mm-hmm. are exactly two weeks out uh, from Election Day bill, and it'll be interesting to see what issues uh, captivate voters. Uh, as much as we were talking about early voting earlier, I think that there's still a sizable number of people who, who will go to the polls on Election Day. So um, we, we don't know for sure, but things are certainly trending in the direction of Republicans, particularly for the House. They, uh, they seem to be in a comfortable position to reclaim the majority. It uh, is still unknown about how many seats they will, will have. As we know right now, Speaker Pelosi is dealing with a very narrow Democrat majority, but uh, Republicans could have anywhere from maybe a handful to over 20. And that could uh, have a big implication for how 
presumed speaker, Kevin McCarthy, decides to run the show there. In the Senate, it's a little bit interesting. You know, you have some races, uh, we talked about Pennsylvania earlier, that uh, are, are neck and neck. Uh, that's a Republican senator who is retiring. So if Democrats uh, win that seat, then they would have a 51-49 advantage if everything else stayed the same. But Republicans uh, seem to have an edge in places like Nevada, uh, where Adam Laxalt is uh, is uh, having a you know competitive race against uh, the incumbent senator, Catherine Cortez Mastio. And then there are some other states where we know that there is um, just a lot of uh, unknowns, uh, Georgia being one that comes to mind. You have Republican Governor Brian Kemp comfortably leading Stacey Abrams in many polls, and yet at the same time, Herschel Walker and uh, the incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock are, are neck and neck. So those are just a few other races, but I mean, there's everything from Wisconsin, which is going to be a, a big battleground with Senator Ron Johnson, the Republican, to Maggie Hassan, the Democratic senator who's locked in a tight race against Don Baldock. So um, Arizona, you have the incumbent Democrat, Mark Kelly. So I've heard predictions that it could be 53 Republicans in charge, or it could be, you know, uh, 51 Democrats. So we just don't know about the Senate. And I think probably maybe next week when we talk, we'll have a better idea. But, uh, you know, one of the things that is clearly animating a lot of voters is the economy. And as more economic comes, news comes out and it's not good, that seems to be motivating Republicans certainly more than Democrats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk about the inflation uh, and the economy, because that is seems to be number one on people's lists. Well, it is. And I think they see it and experience it uh, day in and day out. I mean, we our own economists here at the Heritage Foundation estimate that, you know, families are losing up to six thousand dollars or having to pay more than six thousand dollars. And it's, you know, having to come out of somewhere. And so they're they're not doing things like taking taking the family vacation or they're having to cut back uh, perhaps on on eating out, uh, Mm -hmm. not not buying as many groceries, uh, taking fewer trips in the car because gas, you know, continues to be stubbornly high over three dollars a gallon. So maybe it's not where it once was, but inflation continues to be in the 8% range, which is a 40-year high. And so for many Americans, particularly young Americans, they never experienced this before. I mean, certainly my parents lived through it, um, you know, uh, when when they experienced, you know, high inflation in the 70s and 80s. But this is new to, to many individuals, and I think it's having a, a big, big impact. Um, so when you're dealing with it on a day-to-day basis, you want to see change in Washington. And one of the criticisms that I've even heard Democrats level at President Biden is that he wants to talk about abortion all the time. And yet that's not the number one topic on the minds of a lot of Americans. Yes, maybe it's motivating a lot of uh, hard left Democratic activists who who are upset with the Supreme Court's decision, but it's not necessarily motivating a lot of independent voters who put the economy at number one on their list. And then I think in some urban areas, Bill, you and I have talked about this for the last two years, I feel like, uh, the issue of crime and defunding the police. Uh, the, the gamble that a lot of Democrats, including Vice President Kamala Harris, made was uh, to get behind defunding the police, uh, loosening the, the, the bail policies, doing all of these things that uh, appeased uh, you know, some on the, on the far left. And now we're seeing the consequences of that. And, uh, and, and cities are having to adjust. And those voters who are traditionally in, in the Democratic camp, I'm thinking specifically of Hispanic voters now, are, are tending to shift to Republicans. So there's a whole number of dynamics at, at, at play here. And, uh, you know, with, with the House races being there, there are 435 of them. Obviously, there's unique characteristics in all of them. But uh, there are some interesting races that uh, your, your listeners should watch, including the governor's race in Oregon, uh, where the Republican seems to be doing 
particularly well. I, I think it's been since the 1980s before Oregon has, since Oregon has elected a, a, a Republican to, uh, to the governor's mansion. And then a latest poll I saw out of New York, of all places, shows that Kathy Hochul and Lee Zeldin are locked in a tight race. And Lee Zeldin, of course, uh, a longtime congressman from New York, Kathy Hochul um, inherited the job when Andrew Cuomo stepped down in disgrace. Um, you know, that is a surprise. And as an upstate New Yorker myself, I've seen a, I lived through a Republican governor there when George Pataki was the longtime governor of New York. But I never thought that this uh, this year it would be a competitive race. But I think the crime wave that we've seen in New York City and uh, and that that area is uh, is motivating a lot of people to, to question Hochul's policies. Boy, if you don't feel safe in your own city, if you don't want to go out to dinner on a Saturday night in a downtown area because you're too afraid, that's not a good thing. It's it's not, and it, it's uh, it's it's troubling. I mean, I, I we we even see it locally here in the Washington D.C. area uh, with uh, w- you know with the uptick in, in crime, and and I think that uh, there there is uh, just a frustration that the the political leaders don't necessarily have the solutions or or know how to. Ad- address it. And the policies that they've put forward for the past two years clearly aren't working. Removing police and demoralizing the spirit of police um, has backfired. You have now a recruiting crisis. People don't want to go into that profession because they don't want to be attacked uh, by individuals. And um, it's, it's, it's really sad because those are the people that we should have been thanking for the hard work. Are there a few bad apples? There absolutely are. But uh, it's, um, it's, a, it's a, an issue that I think is going to take probably many years to reverse now. Mm-hmm. Rob Louis, my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Another question, Rob, in Connecticut on this year's ballot is a question, should Connecticut enable the state's constitution be changed to allow for early voting? What's Rob's take on this, on early voting? Well, I'm not a fan of early voting as, as, uh, as somebody who, who believes that the, the decision should be made on, on election day. Uh, you know, there are all sorts of in, you know, proposals. I've heard other people say, why not make uh, election day a holiday, a federal holiday? That way people don't you know, have to rush from one job to you know, get to vote. And if they're working a second job, you know, maybe you know, they have to make some, some choices there. Uh, early voting, I would keep limited to those who need to do it in the old-fashioned way, the absentee vote. Um, if you're a college student, you can't make it home, you know, you would vote by absentee. That's that's what I did when I was away at college. If you happen to be traveling on, on election day, I know in in, uh, in in the Commonwealth of Virginia, you are allowed to cast an absentee uh, ballot. So there are currently in place uh, many steps that uh, allow for that. And the other thing I'm skeptical of, Bill, is uh, mail-in voting, because just in the last couple of days, I mean, we've seen both in my home state of Virginia, uh, we've seen in Washington, D.C., uh, that, that these boards of elections make mistakes and they mail incorrect ballots to individuals. And, and I, I think in both cases of Washington, D.C. and Virginia, now they have egg on their face and they have to figure out how uh, to make sure that those don't get counted because they can't. They're, they're, they're not correct. And I've had people that I work with, colleagues who, who, one, who uh, formerly lived in California, hasn't lived there for years, who still receives a ballot from the state of California. So all of those things make me highly suspicious and I think cast doubt in the minds of many voters on the integrity of our elections. And the one thing we need to do right now is restore trust in our elections and all of these things that, uh, that don't do that, I think, work against us. I, I would imagine, Rob, there's going to be a fair amount of eyes on on election sites this this election season 
Oh, absolutely. And in fact, many of them are still looking for volunteers to help uh, work the polls. I mm-hmm. think if uh, individuals have the opportunity on Election Day, November 8th, uh, to give up some time and volunteer, uh, those are those are great, uh, great public service that you can provide. There's usually, uh, you know, there's there's poll watchers. Uh, there are other individuals who work on behalf of um, uh, their election clerks and, and then poll watchers. So there are some who work on behalf of a political party uh, to keep an eye that there's no shenanigans. And then there are those who are, are officially paid by, by the government um, to administer the election. So, yeah, I think it's a great service that individuals can perform and ensure that uh, the, the, the integrity of our elections is secure. Look no further, Bill, than uh, what happened in Georgia after the presidential election in 2020 and then the runoffs for the Senate. Yeah. A lot of people just didn't show up because they didn't trust the results. Thanks, Rob. I will look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you, Bill. You bet. Rob Blue is my guest. We'll take a break, and then Dr. Alex McFarland is next. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Yeah. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. As you may know, Dr. Alex McFarland, in addition to being a national author and speaker, has written over 20 books. He's also part of a, a great nationwide ministry called Truth for a New Generation. And it's uh, in a very popular apologetics conference. And he educates and equips people of all ages and walks of life. And I've got all kinds of questions for him today. Alex, welcome. Well, thank you, Bill. It's a great honor to be on. And yeah. I have such an appreciation for you and Faith Radio and always always a privilege. Thank I, you, my friend. Always feels like a love fest when you're on, really. Well, you know, I meet a lot of people. Uh, I, I just got back last night from a 20 or 21-day speaking tour. Wow. And I meet a lot of people in airports and, you know, churches, but people speak about how Christian radio touches their lives. And, Bill, I, I, I know you and I didn't call to talk about this today, but I, I read a thing last November, so it's almost a year ago, They said 93% of Americans hear terrestrial radio at some point during the week. Wow. That, that wow. means like, uh, you know, a radio station. Yes. And, I know everybody listens to podcasts and things like that, but more than 90% of people do hear some radio through the week. That's why I have such a great love for Christian radio and like faith radio, because it is touching the lives of people, and I'm all about that. Yeah, and we have 23 radio stations, and I should have known that statistic you just shared with me. Wow. But I, I, but I didn't. <laughs> see, I had no idea. Now, yeah. I know you're in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And and where all are your other stations? Don't get me started, Alex. This would take uh, the next fifteen minutes. But we're well, that's all... nearly two dozen markets. Yeah, we're it? through the whole Upper Midwest and, and Connecticut, and we're all over. Wonderful. Yeah, and broadcasting the truth of God's word. Amen. Yeah, it's been fantastic in our seventy fourth year of broadcasting. So hasn't God been faithful in this ministry? Amen. God, God is so faithful. God is so faithful. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, had the privilege um, over the last three weeks, you know, like I say, I was in six states over 20 days. And uh, in Arkansas, saw over 20 people pray to accept Christ. 
And people are hungry, Bill, people of all ages. And, and I still believe in the simplicity of the gospel, that the Son of God died on the cross for our sins, and we put our trust in Jesus, and we have a, a brand new life. You know, the, the Bible says the old has passed away, all things are made new when we put our trust in Jesus. Mm. And in this very complex 21st century world, people still are hungry for that simple message that Jesus loves them, Jesus will forgive all their sins, and Jesus will give them a, a clean slate and a fresh start. I think people are more hungry than ever to know that. I, I agree completely, Alex, and I appreciate you sharing what you just shared, because I, I love hearing that on, on the show every day, the simple truth of the gospel and how there are hungry people, and the only way their soul will be filled is by receiving Christ as their Savior. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I know there's a lot of talk about people walking away from their faith or going through seasons where they're 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 just not as into it. Um, I I sometimes think that is that happening more or is there just more publicity about it? It's a good question. I mean, you know, only the Lord knows the status of another person's heart. But I'll just say this, and I know you know whenever we share things that are you know, our own personal experiences, that's anecdotal. So what I'm sharing is not a statistic necessarily. It's just anecdotal. But um, I see, especially among young people, Bill, more hunger and interest in spiritual things than ever before. Uh, last week, I was in um, Jackson, Mississippi, which is the state capital. And right outside of Jackson is a very esteemed school called East Rankin Academy. It's a K-12 private school, very renowned, uh, and they've got about 800 students. And um, I spoke 30 times in five days, six times a day for five days. And uh, even I was sick of the sound of my own voice. <laughs> but the, the thing is, I mean, these kids, um, not all are from Christian homes. A lot, It's a Christian school, but um, you know, there are a lot of families that weren't necessarily Christians. They're just seeking really good education for their kids. Kids are wanting to know, um, it, it, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Does Jesus have anything to say about the modern state of the world? Um, does the Bible say anything about, like, socialism versus capitalism? Um, a big question that I got all summer long, Bill, we were in front of 650 students in four summer camps, and we'll be doing five summer camps next year. Kids want to know, are we in the end times? Um, is Jesus really going to come back, and are we near that? And I know, yes, we hear about people that fall away. First of all, I, if somebody can one day embrace Jesus and then at some later point repudiate Jesus, I really question whether they knew the Lord at all. Because if if the presence of Jesus and the love of Christ comes into your life, I just, I just don't think you, you'll ever get over it. But um, I'm finding, and I've been in youth-related work for 30 years, I mean, Bill, I think America's teenagers are, are more ready to receive the truth of the gospel than ever before. And it just seems like the kids we meet... The, the ones that are Christians want to go deeper, and the ones that aren't yet Christians are eager to become believers. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's encouraging. 
Yeah, I like that. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. Alex, I know I would love for you to talk about what should Christians believe about abortion. I know it's a hot topic, and this is one that's being discussed, especially in the next two weeks, but I would love for your uh, perspective on that. Well, well, I think abortion is wrong um, because, for one thing, it's taking something that doesn't belong to us. Life belongs to God. And when the Sixth Commandment says, Thou shalt not murder, uh, that includes self-murder, which would be, you know, uh, suicide, but it also includes, you know, murder of the unborn. Now, let me say this. When Roe versus Wade was overturned several months ago, and just very ironic, I, I probably shared this with you, but I, I got to speak in the Roe versus Wade courtroom this January, this past January bill on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and uh, we prayed for the reversal of Roe versus Wade, and five months later, it happened. Let me just say, American women did not lose the right to an abortion, because that's a right they never had. Mm. Um, it's, it's very important to understand that our culture, and, and Bill, I said this is the most important topic nobody's talking about, and that's morals, or I'm going to be very technical, natural law. Now, natural law, which goes back to uh, Heraclitus and the Greek philosophers and Aristotle, up through Augustine, our founders, John Locke, the writers of the Constitution, there is this law of nature, and it's God's truth written on every human heart. That's Romans 2, 14 and 15. That when the Gentiles, who didn't have the law of God like the Jews had, they intuitively, instinctively did the things prescribed by Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, it shows that the law of God is written on their heart. And natural law says everybody knows right from wrong. And there is, within the view of, of natural law, there, there are moral boundaries that are applicable to all people. And we really do know right from wrong. Bill, every, even the most vocal libertine knows. I mean, they would never admit it, but they know there is a law. We don't lie. We don't steal. We don't kill. We don't uh, bear false witness. And we know we're going to give an account to God. Now, with natural law comes a grouping of natural rights. And the technical word is the word penumbra. Some of your listeners that have been to law school will know a penumbra is a grouping of something. Faith Radio has a penumbra of stations. Well, we as Americans, every human has a penumbra of rights. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Now, my pursuit of happiness, though, is limited that my pursuits can't undermine your natural rights either. That's why there, there's no right to gay marriage. There's no right to abort a baby. Uh, there, there's no right that I demand the rest of the world address me by some gender pronoun that's not my gender. I mean, and so what's dangerous about the times in which we live, Bill, is that uh, for 50 years we went against natural law 
and we said, okay, there's a subset of our society, the unborn, that their, their natural rights are limited. The unborn doesn't necessarily have the right to life. The, the mother can decide yay or nay. And so with the uh, diminishing or truncating of natural rights, we've now opened the door on the other side of the page to create artificial rights. And, and my point is, and I realize this is kind of deep, but when you deviate from the agreed-upon standard, it opens up that new standards will be created by the most vocal, persistent lobbyists. Mm. We've, if we're going to save America and retain our Constitution and liberty, stability, prosperity, we've got to go back to what gave us a great America, and it was natural law. And, and by the way, let me just throw this out there, too. If we really believed in and lived natural law, then racism wouldn't even be a problem. Because who has life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness? Who has natural worth, value, dignity? All human beings. Right. Of any and every ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Alex, when you see that there are entire denominations affirming the woman's right to choose, what do you make of that? Well, I think that they're ignorant of God's Word, they're ignorant of truth, and they are suppressing what truth they do know. And, I mean, it's just ungodly. I mean, it's, it's sad, it's tragic, and, and I just wonder how, how much conviction it, it must be to be under to that actively suppress God and His truth and the Holy Spirit. I mean, I mean the, the fact that a professed Christian and certainly a clergyman would advocate for the killing of the unborn, may, may God help them. I mean, it, it, now, let, let me say this. I had a friend, he's passed away, he was an atheist, Christopher Hitchens, uh, and many will re remember that name. Christopher Hitchens was an atheist, he was not a believer, he was a brilliant thinker, and he passionately loved America. He was also passionately pro-life. And Hitchens and I emailed right up until the time of his death. What he did in the final, final moments of life, I don't know. But Christopher Hitchens, the atheist, uh, he said, look, um, the unborn, and this is a verbatim quote, the unborn is a human. It is nonsense to say otherwise. Therefore, the unborn is entitled to the same rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and therefore the fate of the unborn, said Hitchens, should not rest in the hands of the expectant mother alone. Brilliantly logical he was, and mm. he was not even a believer. Wow. Let me take a break, and when I come back, I want to ask you uh, to talk about a passage that's kind of difficult. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. You can learn more about him at alexmcfarland.com. We'll be right back. We want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube, we're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media. From graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests 
to articles about topics you are interested in, to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. Welcome back to the show. So glad to talk to Dr. Alex McFarlane. He's always so full of wisdom. So, Alex, let's talk about a passage out of Exodus, if you don't mind. Okay. And what does it mean that God changed his mind due to the prayer of Moses? Oh, wow. (laughs) Great question. Uh, (laughs) That's always a a little bit of a head-scratcher for people. Yeah, for real. Well, you know, uh, God, his nature doesn't change. Malachi 3 and Hebrews 13 says, you know, I, the Lord, change not. Hebrews 13 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So one thing that we, we need to point out there that God doesn't really change in his nature or his essence. But, you know, there are more than a dozen places in the Bible that um, reference God uh, changing his mind, you know? Uh, And so um, uh, it's possible prayers, you know, uh, prayer and repentance. You know, it talks about if we repent, God will relent. On on what? Judgment. And so I I do think, and, and this is only something that omniscience and omnipotence could do, God has his will, you know, obviously to send Christ to pay for our atonement on the cross and then to initiate the church and 2,000 years of church history, and here we are today. So God's will will go forth because, you know, in Esther 4.14, when Mordecai tells Esther, if you remain silent at this time, enlargement and deliverance will come to the Jews from another place but you and your father's house will be destroyed. All right, God's will will be carried out. But somehow, without compromising God's sovereignty, without compromising his plans, uh, and without compromising you know, his goodness, God allows we finite humans to participate in the direction of history. You know, uh, I think about in uh, Jeremiah, uh, God says, uh, I'm preparing disaster and calamity, uh, so turn from your evil ways, reform your ways and your actions. Uh, and like um, in Jonah chapter 3, God says, then I will relent. So, you know, if we change, the outcome of our circumstances can change. And... Uh, so here's, here's the bottom line, Bill. God changing the way he interacts with humans, nations, and individuals, um, yes, it, it has happened, it can happen again, and I don't think that compromises his eternal unchanging nature nor his sovereign historical spanning the centuries plan. Mm-hmm. So Alex, having... Ask that question. My follow-up question is, so when we pray, are we trying to convince God of something or maybe have him change his mind? Um, yeah, I, I don't think we have to convince God of anything, you know, because uh, he knows all things and he does things that are right. And sometimes prayer, uh, I, I think, 
you know, everybody has probably heard this, you know, prayer changes things, but prayer changes us, you know? Mm -hmm. Now, in John 15 and 16, you know, Jesus says, uh, really in three places, if you ask in my name according to my will, I will do it. And so if our petitions, you might hear my cat. I do hear your cat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my, my cat is either amening me or protesting. I'm not sure which. <laughs> That's Alexa the cat, by the way. And, hey, Bill, I've got to send you the cutest cat picture you'll ever see. It's Alexa the cat trying to uh, fiddle with the radio microphone and be on the radio. But, <laughs> I want to um, see that one. All right. Yeah. So, so here's the thing. Yeah, I, I, I don't think we have to convince God because he's already said, look, um, if we pray according to his word, according to his will, in his name, he will do it. But um, prayer can change our heart. It can make our priorities more in line with God's will. It can teach us things about our dependency on God. But yeah, I mean, prayer can prayer can change circumstances. Um, I have fasted and prayed for things before, and which is a very deeply spiritual experience. If if anybody ever pray, you know, pray but fast and pray, and I I honestly believe. For example, one time we were praying for this lady to um, come out of a coma because we wanted one more time to share the gospel with her. And, I mean, we prayed, we fasted and prayed, and we we begged God for, for this woman's soul to be saved. And she did awaken from a coma. She called out for her brother, who was a minister. He led her to Christ. And then about 48 hours later, she lapsed back into a coma and died. And I honestly think, Bill, that myself and several hundred people, we, we were, I mean, we were begging God to have mercy on that woman's soul, and, and he awakened her out of a coma, and she accepted Christ. And that's that might be a bit of an extreme example, but, you know, I, I think sometimes when it's maybe something especially dire, you know, we got to show God that we mean it, and we want it, and that we're going to intercede and cry out to him for his intervention. And and I, I think very very often God is much more eager to answer prayers and do miracles than we're even anxious to ask for them. Mm-hmm. Dr. Alex McFarlane is my guest. Alex, you know, this brings me to my next question. As we continue to pray and petition God for an answer to a prayer, I am hearing more and more prayer requests that come into Faith Radio. They come in every day. And they seem to be more severe, more difficult to read, more urgent. And I think of all the listeners today who are in a really a place of crisis, and I want to bring them some comfort today. I want, to, I want some of your pastoral wisdom and comfort for the people who are really at wit's end today. Well, well... Uh, my, my heart goes out to those people that you describe, Bill, and I think one of the great words of comfort is Matthew 6, 8, that it says the Father knows what we need even before we ask. 
And, you know, you think about Luke 18, where it talks about, you know, that if if a, a judge knows how to do right by a citizen, how much more will God know how to do right by his children? Luke 18.1 says that we should always pray and not give up. So let, let me say that uh, for the person who's in, you know, a crisis or a stressful situation or a very dire situation, please believe this because it's true. God cares. I mean, he really, really does. And and the Lord will not only intervene in your circumstances, he'll minister to your heart as you as you call out to him and worship as you wait. Um, God cannot make a mistake. God will never stop loving you. God truly, truly cares. Bill, you know, the book of Hebrews says that we do not have a high priest who can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was tempted in all points like we, yet without sin. Mm -hmm. In other words, Jesus uh, went through everything that we feel, you know, rejection, alienation, loneliness, fear, pain, betrayal, being misunderstood. And you know what? He didn't sin. He understands and I mean, we can legitimately know that God God understands what I'm going through, and He cares. And uh, you know, I, I I quote the Bible a lot because I mean that is our dependable. You know, Second Peter one uh, nineteen through twenty one says that it is the sure word of testimony, the certain word. And when Matthew six eight says, you know, do not fear because your father knows what you need even before you ask. Wow. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. That, um, you know, whatever is around the, the corner and what we can't see into tomorrow, sometimes we can't even see the next hour, but the Lord already knows. Mm -hmm. And so I would just encourage people, um, and I, I, sometime I, I want to write down our our story of my family and a family farm that went bankrupt and mom and dad each had health issues and um we, we've all had hard knocks mm -hmm. i know but i mean we we had some things that truly we we saw no way out financially physically and yet I can look back over the last 30 years and I see God was faithful. God really was faithful. And um, not only did he come through for us, but in the journey we learned things about his faithfulness that we yeah. wouldn't have known any other way. So good. Alex, you uh, go feed the cat and have a nice uh, dinner. And I'll yes. talk to you next uh, next couple of weeks. God bless you, thank Bill, you. and thank you, and God you bless bet. Faith Radio. Thank you. Dr. Alex McFarland was my guest. You can learn more about him at alexmcfarland.com, alexmcfarland.com. We're going to take a break. we come back, continue our series with Jeff Verdorn as we uh, talk about who is this Jesus. That's all next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.